Hey, it's Jed Hearn, host of Wizards, Warriors, and Words. If you're enjoying the writing advice on this show, you might like my new podcast, The Jed Hearn Show, where every week I share the best fantasy writing advice that I've learned from publishing three fantasy novels and a best-selling video game. There's over 12 episodes that you can listen to right away, including my top 10 fantasy books of all time, how to make fantasy names that don't suck, two rules that make writing effortless, and my complete summaries of Brandon Sanderson's and Neil Gaiman's writing classes, and much more. Check it out by searching for The Jed Hearn Show in your podcast app. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello and welcome to Wizards, Warriors, and Words, a fantasy writing advice podcast. I'm Jed Hearn, author of Siege of Treblin, and today's episode is something a bit different. I'm on a panel with a couple of other authors who have written for Choice of Games, and we're going to be talking about writing interactive fiction and kind of our different experiences with it. So first of all, Kate Hartfield, do you want to introduce yourself to the show? Hi, I'm very happy to be here. Uh, I am a writer in Ottawa, Canada. And uh, I write various things. Uh, I've had several books come out. Uh, my latest book is called The Embroidered Book, and I've got an Assassin's Creed novel uh, about to come out. Um, but I also write interactive fiction, and my two projects for Choice of Games came out in 2018 and 2019, uh, two historical ones called The Road to Canterbury and The Magician's Workshop, and I'm really happy to be here. Thanks, Kate. And yeah, for a bit of context, The Magician's Workshop was the first choice of game story that I ever played. And Kate was extremely useful back in the day when I was like uh, applying to write for choice of games. She like offered to look over my application for free, gave me so much advice and really helped me get that book published. So thanks so much for that, Kate. Um, it's good to, good to have you back on now that I'm on the other side of that process. And <laughs> yeah. joining us is Hannah Powell-Smith. Hannah, welcome to the show. Hi, nice to be here. Um, yeah, so I'm a I'm a game writer and narrative designer. Um, I um, I've made two games with Choice of Games, um, one called Blood Money and one called Creme de la Creme. Um, and I am currently working for a a small indie game studio in the UK. Awesome. And Hannah's being very modest there because Creme de la Creme is the highest rated game on the Choice of Games app. Uh, it's got like, I think 3000 more reviews than the nearest one. So knows, knows a thing or two when it comes to, uh, writing interactive fiction. Oh, that's so kind. Thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I think probably the first thing to kind of start us all off on this panel discussion is what was your first experience getting into writing interactive fiction and what drew you to, to start this off? Um, Hannah, do you want to begin? Sure. Um, so my first experience was back when I was a teenager, um, I made some mods for Baldur's Gate 2 um, and got into the modding community there um, with um, with my then girlfriend, now wife. And um, yeah, we made these uh, NPC, like romanceable NPCs um, for, uh, for Baldur's Gate 2. And some of them were quite well received. And it's, it, it's really crazy. Like I went back and play like look looked on some of the forums like relatively recently and people like a couple of people were still talking about it and I was like oh my god this is like so long ago now um but that really that was really my my first experience with it and I kind of then um went into uh like went to university and um, did an English degree and didn't really know how you how you wrote for games I just didn't have like, any sense of it neither did the university so um I sort of set, set that aside for quite a while um and then got into making twine games um in the mid like 
kind of 20 2015 or so um make, making short um shortish time games um and uh, by that point i was quite familiar with choice of games um selection and then applied once i'd made some some of these trying games i applied to them and uh, kind of went from there really awesome that's pretty sick i had no idea about the boulders gate mods are they still around <laughs> like can people still access them I don't know. Maybe, um, yeah, possibly <laughs> somewhere on the internet. What would someone Google to find it? Uh, so the one that I liked that that we that we sort of like the most is called Farren, F A R E N, um, and uh, he was a he was a uh, just a, a a cool dude that was a um, partial like fighter thief. Like he'd been a bit of an adventurer in his like in his past, but then a lot of his um, his companions died, um, and so he saw, saw saw himself as a bit of a, a bad luck charm, and then uh, could join up with the um, the Baldur's Gate two crew. Interesting. That is pretty cool. So, what about you, Kate? Also, I've got your book here that I meant to put back on the shelf. So, keep talking. <laughs> yeah uh for me actually choice of games was my first experience uh running interactive fiction so i came to it uh from there and uh just entirely as a prose writer so it goes to show that you don't have to have any experience at all writing interactive fiction to, to write for choice of games um you know it's a really interesting training ground actually and very supportive training ground i found uh as long as you know they're they're looking for people who do have storytelling skills and have writing skills uh and are, are happy to help you along if you don't have um this sort of technical skills to to code and, and all the rest of it and of course they have their own language anyway um so uh yeah so it was a wonderful learning experience for me um having not written it uh before and uh of course i've been a gamer my whole life and could remember the you know um put book on table turn left turn right games of the early 80s so uh and <laughs> it sort of called me back to that yeah that's awesome i think for me the the kind of first thing uh my first experience with sort of interactive fiction was reading this uh short story by garth nix called down to the scum quarter i believe which is like this 1980s um, kind of choose-your-own-adventure style story that he wrote for a magazine. It was collected in a, sh in a book with lots of his other short stories in it. And it's this really hilarious game where you're sort of this fantasy figure who's going through this medieval town trying to fulfill this very arbitrary objective. And it's just like really satirical and hilarious. And um, I was probably 14 or 15 at the time I, I read it and I immediately thought, oh, I want to try to do something like that myself. So. I wrote this um, very uh, obvious copy of this called 00, The Affable Agent, which is sort of like a, a parody of James Bond, but if James Bond was like extremely incompetent. And uh, you can still find it. It's actually out there on the internet. Um, if you just search it in, you can, you can find it somewhere. Not my finest work, but it's uh, kind of interesting to see where we've gone from there. But I just really liked it. It was super fun, like kicking the decisions to the reader. Because so often when you're writing, you're like, oh, what's the character going to do next? What's the character going to do next? Nowadays, that's like easy because I know my characters. But back when I was starting out as a younger writer, I was like, I don't know what they're going to do. So it was really satisfying to just like create an interesting situation. And then, you know, you just throw the agency and the choices to them. Um, yeah. So that was my experience with uh, my first game. Um, the reason why I have wanted to ch talk with you two in particular <clears throat> and I mentioned, oh, I'm not having my voice. And I mentioned this before the episode started, is that we all kind of are approaching choice of games from uh, our own unique angles. Like I've just had Siege of Treblin come out a few months ago. Uh, Hannah, you have, as I mentioned before, like the highest rated game on the platform. And Kate, like some of your choice of game stories have been nominated for awards and like Nebula Awards, which is a pretty big deal. So I'd love to know, like, how did each of you kind of, yeah, first interact with choice of games, decide to write with them. And then more generally, what's your experience been like with, um, with writing for choice of games? Yeah, I can jump in there and, uh, apologies in advance. If you hear a meow, uh, Minerva <laughs> has decided that she's going to join us today. So, uh, I've got a cat, cat on my lap now. Around in the background there. Yeah. Yeah. She's, she, she will not be denied, you know? So, um, yeah. So for me, uh, what happened with choice of games is that I had uh, a few writer friends who had written for them. And so I had seen 
that uh, people were writing for them and that, um, you know, they were happy to be writing for them and, and doing well. And I really, I played their games and I really enjoyed playing them. And so I thought, okay, well, this is a really interesting um, and fun uh, company. And I, I just really enjoyed what they were doing. So from there, um, I, you know, they had a, a little thing on their website, which they still have last I checked that said, you know, we're looking for writers and here's how you apply. Uh, so the first step was to send in, um, uh, I think your CV and I thought, oh, well, you know, nothing will come of this, but I'll just, I'll send my CV, uh, you know, and then they'll reject me and, and that'll, uh, you know, job done. That's what I'll do. So I sent my CV and they didn't reject me. They said, well, you know, send us a pitch. So I said, okay, well, won't, nothing will come of that, but I'll send a pitch. So I sent my pitches and uh, they uh, they chose the road to Canterbury. And uh, lo and behold, um, after a few rounds of going over the outline and revising the outline, uh, so that I for me to understand um, how interactive fiction worked and, and to make sure that this story would work as interactive fiction. Um, yeah, we were off to the races. So the first game was uh, the idea is that you are a pilgrim uh, in Canterbury uh, in the 14th century. And uh, one of the other pilgrims in the inn is one Geoffrey Chaucer. So you are uh, with him and with some other characters who may have inspired one of his works that he is about to write. Uh, so you can and it's a time of sort of political upheaval and and uh, you can influence the politics uh, of early 14th century England uh, and uh, make some choices that way and, and change your own fate, of course. Uh, and uh, yeah, it was nominated for the very first uh, Nebula in game writing. Um, the, the first year there was a Nebula in game writing is what the I mean first to say. and the best. Uh, it's all been downhill. The, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, and it didn't win, but uh, it, was, it was wonderful to be nominated. And uh, yeah, it, was, it felt very historic and, and lovely. Uh, to be down there in uh, Los Angeles at the Nebula Award Ceremony. And um, yeah, I was nominated for something else the same year in, in prose. So it was a very oh, I just can't keep up with strange... the award shows. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a wonderful place to place. Place. It's been so cool. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I can't stand it was the Oscars very after cool. party. I've got another award show to go to. <laughs> exactly, yeah, sorry, yeah. It was, it was very cool and it was very, you know, everyone had this sense uh, that the Game Award was important and, and wonderful and it was very supportive among all the all the nominated game writers as well that, you know, this is wonderful to be uh, to be here at last. And uh, so that was just it was all good. I have I just a very wonderful experience and um, I'll stop rambling. But then I had a second game called The Magician's Workshop, which is set in renaissance florence uh the following year and that was also nominated for the nebula award so um it, but Sensing then that here. one was a yeah exactly so that, that was a virtual ceremony so it wasn't as fun but uh, and again it didn't win but again totally fine um so so those are my two games that's pretty awesome hannah what about your games yeah so i um like i said before i um I'd been making some twine games before, um, before kind of applying to choice of games. Um, and sort of similar to Kate, I, I didn't really have a, much of a sense of like, Oh, someone would pay for this. Um, and, um, but a, a, a interactive fiction magazine that's now, um, it's now not going anymore, but you can still get, get it online, which is called sub Q, um, magazine contacted me, um, about a game that I'd put up for free. And they, they said, Oh, do you like, we'd be interested in reprinting this and I was sort of like what like wow. how is this happening um and that sort of um that made that really kind of build my confidence and maybe go okay well maybe I can do this and I'd I'd admired and enjoyed playing the choice of games games for a long time actually like um I think the first one I played was the choice of romance that's now called affairs of the court um that was the first or like one of the first games that they they created um back in, I must have played it like back in the like 2012 ish time like <laughs> years and years ago um and and i'd sort of been keeping up with them and and um, enjoyed like really enjoyed them um and uh and then a couple of people that i knew had um they were sort of at the pitching and outlining stage with them and so i was like oh yeah maybe like if if they're doing it then like maybe i can give it a go um and so i um so i pitched uh, blood money to them which is a um a fantasy game set in a sort of um 
like vaguely Venetian esque um, sort of um, uh, spooky city with um, lots of uh, with lots of ghosts. Uh, you play a character that can use their blood to um, summon and control ghosts, and you're part of, you're part of a crime family that um, that are sort of trying to. Um, trying to get power um with uh like with their rivals and um kind of deal with city politics and um and kind of people people scrambling for power basically um and that came out in 2018 um and then i um and then i pitched um creme de la creme which is really different um it's still fantasy but it's not uh it's not got supernatural elements really like there's some some people are kind of a, um, a bit spiritualist and some of them believe in ghosts and fortune telling and that sort of thing but it's not um there's not as as much sort of overt um kind of fantasy spookiness in there um and it's also almost like there's some violence in it but it's there's no uh not in the same way like in, in blood money you can sort of you can murder a bunch of people you can like turn nice. on your family and, and um have them killed and all this sort of thing um i wanted to sort of try uh try doing a game which didn't have that wasn't sort of relying on that and kind of have a lot of stakes and tension um that were much more social and kind of it's uh it's a school story where you're at a you're at a fancy boarding school trying to repair your family reputation um because they've they've been scandaled um and uh you are um you're just kind of trying to you're trying to maybe uh get get to university or make a good marriage um and and that sort of thing and it's sort of it's got a slightly um sort of edwardian 1920s sort of like vague feel but it's it's not a specific historical period it's a it's a fantasy um and uh yeah and that's um and that was really interesting um sort of uh kind of making these like building up these social situations that felt high stress um without necessarily being very violent um and like there's a bit where you can if you want to you can uh you can throw a paperweight at someone in a in a like <laughs> in a um uh pivotal moment um and i wanted to make that feel really kind of shocking because it's very like oh like no one would ever do that in this this sort of environment um Highly and so that was fun kind of including that kind of scene that's pretty cool yeah i uh, first stumbled across choice games in 2016 i think it was and at the time i was studying architecture at uni and hadn't published anything i'd only really um like maybe had oh, i don't think i even published any short stories at that stage uh, and I was like, wow, this is cool that they are just accepting people off the street to write for them. I wonder if one day that would be a possibility, but I didn't really have any publications to my name. So I thought, oh, I'm just going to forget about this, maybe come back to it in a few years. And then it would have been at the start of, I think, 2020, when I just suddenly remembered them. At that time, I just published my first book, Fires of the Dead, which is this one just here, um, back in September of 2019. And I was about to publish Across the Broken Stars, which I don't think you two can see, but uh, our viewers will be able to see it when it's on YouTube afterwards, which is this one over here. And I thought, oh, I remember remember that choice of games thing and how you were keen to write for that. You might actually like have a crack at this now because you've got a few books out there and you know you probably have the, the skill to potentially pull it off. But I still thought this is such a long shot. So I had never actually played any of their games up until that stage. And so that's when I uh, cracked open the Magician's uh, Workshop and you know started playing that. And I was like, look, I might not enjoy this at all. I might find this like totally different to what I was expecting it. And then I probably won't write for it if that's the case. But fortunately, I picked a really good game to start off with because I loved it. And I was like, oh, this is sick. I would love to create something like this. Um, I, I Just a few years before that, I'd gone to Florence as well. And that game is set in Florence. So it really felt like so immersive and so entertaining and truly like nothing else I had ever experienced. Um, like, played a couple of video games when I was a kid, not a massive video game player these days. And this was just something different where it like took everything that was great about novels, like all that imagination, all that ability to kind of put yourself in the story and then merged it with this freedom to like explore the pathways that you're most interested in. And I love that game heaps. Uh, I played another one, Sword of the Slayer as well, which was fantastic. Um, and I thought, wow, okay, this is actually really cool. Um, I wonder if I can interview the authors of these games to like try to get their hints for writing for choice of games so that I can, you know, hopefully not make any mistakes when I'm applying to it. 
and uh, both Kate and uh, Stephen Ace, uh, S. Andrew Swan, uh, who wrote Sword of the Slayer, were really gracious with their time, came on an earlier podcast I had. I don't know. Yeah, you came on the Novel Atlas podcast. Is that right? I think no, it was a I few don't years think ago. So. Was it this one? It's very yeah, possible. Come this one. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure. Either way, I'll link to those down below. Yeah. yeah, it was it was it was years back because it was like start of 2020. Yeah. Um, yeah, and uh, I talked to UK, talked to um, S. Andrew Swan, and just got a lot of like good advice from from both of you. So I thought, okay, I'm actually going to apply for this thing. I probably have like zero chance. So I sent through my CV and then just like instantly assumed that I didn't get it because that's always usually been the safest attitude when it comes to applying for writing stuff is just just assume it's not going to happen and then that way you don't get disappointed. And I totally forgot about it for like a month. And then I got an email back from them saying, oh, great. Now send, you know, your next phase, which would be the pitches or whatever. And at every single phase, much like yourself, Kate, like I thought, okay, this is it. This is the time when they realize I've got no talent and that I'm a hack and that I can't do this. And they say like, stop, you know, polluting our inbox with your trash. Um, but <laughs> fortunately they haven't realized that yet. So managed to get all the way through to publishing Seeds of Treble a few months ago. And um, yeah, that's been great. It's been like out of everything that I've published so far, it's definitely been the most successful in terms of sales, which is sick. And yeah, it was really fun writing it, even though it was two years to write, which is so much longer than everything else I've worked on. So yeah, I guess um, bridging off that, we can maybe do a round talking about like what advice would we give for authors who are out there and they're interested in writing for choice of games? What would be your best advice for you know, someone who's maybe written a couple of things before and they really want to try this, they're maybe a fan of playing the games. Hannah, do you want to perhaps start us off? Yeah, so um, I think what I would say is um, is play lots of games um, and like play play lots play a variety of choice of games games and um, see what you like and what you don't like and kind of figure out where you like what decisions you might have made if you were making it um, and uh, and that can really give you a sense of the possibilities because there's a lot of variety between all the different games. Like they're so different, um, even just like the style of writing, the um, like the way that the stats are used, um, and like just the even just the genre. <laughs> um, it makes such a big difference. Um, and yeah, like everyone is so different, and you, there's so many possibilities. Um, so I'd say, I'd say, see like see what what works for you and what you might want to do differently um and also when it gets to the point where you're thinking about um about ideas of of plots and um or like settings or whatever um kind of thinking think always about the player um and sort of what players might want to uh, what might want to explore where how you want to kind of shape their experience because there's always going to be the possibility where like you can't it, you can't make it a complete sandbox basically you can't sort of allow them to do everything so how are you going to kind of shape what the possibilities are that they can do and give them as as much as as you're willing to um in terms of uh like what where they where they might want to go how they might want to interact like don't make assumptions about Oh, oh like no one will want to do this because inevitably like if you the, the minute you're like yes. oh why would anyone want to do that like immediately like everyone will want to 100 <laughs> <laughs> percent. yeah and in particular the games that you have to play so that you can fully appreciate the majesty of this genre is uh siege of treblin creme de la creme blood money <laughs> uh the road to canterbury and the magician's workshop if you don't play all of those games then you'll never you'll never truly <laughs> learn to master this art. <laughs> Kate, what about you? What advice would you give to an author who wants to apply to work for Choice of Games? So I guess just, you know, whatever advice you gave me tended to work out all right. So (laughs) I can't remember now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, um, I I agree with everything that Hannah said, of course. And um, yeah, I think one of the... uh, one of the things I found is that it was really helpful to be a little bit flexible um, in terms of uh, in terms of your idea, I think if you come to them with something completely fully formed and, you know, like this is the idea I'm writing and and uh, nothing else, um, you know, that might work. But uh, it's probably better to, you know, usually you have to have 
uh, three pitches or four, and uh, they might choose the idea that you were not expecting them to. Um, so be a little bit flexible in terms of what ideas you have. Um, and, uh, you know, as Hannah was talking about, not every idea is going to work for choice of games um, conceived in certain ways, uh, because just the way that, that their games are structured, you have to have um, certain scope and uh, certain kinds of choices and that kind of thing. So it's possible that you may need to kind of tailor your approach in a way that you wouldn't if you were using the same idea to create a novel, for example, or a film. Um, it's just going to be a little bit different. Uh, so I think for me, especially as a beginning choice of games writer, uh, it helped to come into it with a little bit of humility and say, look, this is my cool idea, um, but be open to the fact that they're going to say, that's great, but be careful here, you know, make sure that you tweak it here and, and that kind of thing. Um, it is a very collaborative process. Yeah. And I think the, on the note of like when you're pitching ideas to them, um, yeah, like sometimes they will definitely go with the one you're not expecting. And that kind of happened to me, like Siege of Trevelin was out of the four pitches that I sent through, it was the one that was the quickest for me to write. I was like, oh yeah, fantasy siege story. I haven't written that before. That'll be kind of cool. Na like nailed off the, you know, the little pitch for it in probably 20 minutes or something. Some of my other pitches, I labored over those for days and I was like <laughs> so complicated with them. And I was like, oh, this is, this is going to be mind blowing. This is going to be so cool. And uh, then like they didn't go for it. And initially I was like, oh, kind of wanted to write that other thing. But in hindsight, like I am so glad that they picked this one because those other stories, now that I look back on them, they just would have been so much more difficult and probably make way less entertaining to write. Whereas this, it's like, I love writing fantasy. You can just do so much with a siege story. And uh, yeah, they definitely made the right call. I think the other thing that's, that's worthwhile is like, the, the reason I think I was able to kind of get in my foot in the door with them is because of previous published work. And like, I think Kate, you were saying at the start of the episode, like, you don't have to just write games in order to being in with a chance of this. If you've self-published a novel and it's done like decently well and it's got good reviews, then that can be a great foot in the door. Um, and yeah, even you know short stories and stuff could potentially um, be the be the way in. But yeah, from my experience, definitely having the the two novels published previously, and also having a bit of an audience through like my podcast and my email list at that time was useful because it meant it's kind of a sign of your credibility going into it. So. If we all fast uh, rewind rather back to our first choice of games story that we wrote, what mistakes did we make that we would advise authors to try to avoid uh, in, in the future? I can think of a, a ton of for me personally. Um, Kate, do you want to start us off on this one? Sure. Um, gosh, so many. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think uh, I think it's probably if not a universal choice of games experience, then certainly a common choice of games experience um, to struggle just with the amount of work, um, right? And and uh, with deadlines and with um, putting it all together and, and with the length of the project, because it's difficult, especially as a beginning choice of games writer, to really get a sense of how many words you're going to have to create to do what you set out to do in your outline. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there may be some writers who just had no issues with that at all, but uh, but it certainly was something that I struggled with. And I, I know some other uh, writers have struggled with a little bit as well. It's just that especially if you're not coming from interactive fiction, if you're coming from linear prose, um, getting used to the idea that every interaction is going to have at least three uh, variations uh, to some degree and what that is going to do to your process as a writer. And especially if you come from it, um, as a reviser, you know, like I am a heavy reviser of prose, uh, but with choice of games, you can't do that so much because you can't, if you go and make structural revisions, you know, you just, you will never ever be done. Uh, so outlining is really important in choice of games, even if you're not an outliner in other kinds of prose, um, you know, just get used to it. <laughs> uh, and you, you can revise, but uh, you have to just make peace with the fact that it's better not to have to rewrite it several times because it's going to be this long project um you know mine is not super long by choice of game standards i think they're both about 180,000 words um and on any given playthrough i think you know 30 or 40,000 words uh so but for me it was just sort of um balancing the workload and understanding what that would look like what about you hannah what were the kind of mistakes that you made on the first game that uh you would advise other authors to steer clear of 
<laughs> yeah, um, I mean, I definitely, I, I totally agree with Kate with um, sort of just the sheer amount of um, of content that you <laughs> that you generate. Like, I, I, um, I sort of had a sense of how long some of the longer games were when I first started Blood Money, but I didn't, I, I didn't foresee that I would be ending up like getting towards that, um, and it just ended up being so much larger than I expected. Like, what, like one of the later chapters just was huge um but the i would say some it when you're doing such a uh, a kind of large like large scale interactive work um it can be quite tr- challenging figuring out the pacing um mm. and so because because you're sort of writing you're writing kind of chunks of the story and um you you might not have so much of a sense of kind of the big picture of like kind of how it feels to play through this like the whole thing and it's impossible to play through every path anyway because it's so large <laughs> um so i think with blood money i i had that like that was definitely a learning curve kind of um like some some pathways had more foreshadowing about what the kind of final confrontations and, and challenges were going to be um but others it what there wasn't so much depending on what you'd done so um i i felt like some of the uh some of the issues that come up at towards the end kind of come out of nowhere a bit if you haven't done particular things before um and like it's it's a kind of it it can be fun to be surprised but at the same time it was a bit it was it was quite a challenge to kind of um like balance that um and i think i i managed to um i managed to sort of do that um better i think in creme de la creme but i don't think it's it's not something that i've like fully fit like found the the cure for yet um but also with blood money i had a character that appears in chapter two where um they turned out that they were a a member of the uh, member of the police that was trying to infiltrate your family's crime crime stuff um and you could um you could murder them and just like just (laughs) dump them in the river um and that was that's fine but uh then i like they if you don't do that they're quite a major character so then i was sort of in a position where i was like oh i've got to make up a, another like an alternative character to kind of have this role um or have an alternate alternative scenes that or pathways that happen if this person isn't around which was interesting but at the same time i don't like i don't think i would do that the same way another time sure yeah i definitely relate to like the struggles that come as soon as you can have a major character that dies because like, yeah, there's, there's points throughout Siege of Trevlin where like some of the, the major non-player characters can die. And I thought, oh yeah, that'll be, that'll be pretty easy to, you know, build the coding in for that. It makes it such a pain. Cause like, yeah, there was, there was even one bug actually that got through to the final game that I had to patch after it released where um, I think it was Priestess Sephira can like, die in the final battle and then she was officiating your wedding (laughs) if you you married uh, a different character at the end and yeah that was that was embarrassing to try to have to patch that back up again um yeah so that's that's definitely a mistake i wish i could avoid i think another one as well and that sort of relates to this point on but on a broader level is like be really aware of the knock-on effects of small decisions early on like even something as simple as having you know, six stats in your game instead of five stats uh, can make it really, really additionally complex on top of that. Because now you're having to like, you know, make sure that all of these different stats are balanced, make sure that every choice is kind of like, you know, matching on them evenly. And I actually took one out of Siege of Trevlin because there was, we reached a point at the end where my editor, Abby, was like, oh, it just feels like these two different stats you have here are sort of the same thing. Um, and, you know, it, it kind of feels like then neither one really gets a chance to shine or neither one really gets a chance to get strong. So I went through and condensed them all back into one stat and it made it much better, much more streamlined. Um, yeah, so definitely be aware of like the, the impact that these little decisions can have early on. A, a classic example of this would be like, oh, you decide to branch the story so that the main character can travel to one character, uh, to one place or a different place. And that sounds kind of simple, but that can almost double the effort that you need to do. And if you do that across a big story, then that can add up quite substantially. 
Uh, I definitely relate as well to the fact of the story just ballooning far larger than you're expecting because I was initially gunning for 200,000 words for the game, which was still staggeringly big to me. The previously, uh, my previously longest novel up until that point was like 80,000 words. So 200,000, I thought, oh yeah, there'll be plenty to cover this and ended up coming at 280,000, which is insane. Like compared to the previous stuff that I've written. And it's like not the scope of, of what you've written, Hannah, but like, yeah, that felt mind blowing to me. Uh, so yeah, just be aware that it's probably going to expand to be a lot bigger than you think. And then probably the other bit of advice I wish I'd given my former self is don't add complexity just for the sake of complexity. And an example of this is there's one scene where you're at a party and you can go and play a gambling game. And the first time I wrote that game, I spent three weeks developing like a poker mechanic inside my code where you would literally be able to play like as many rounds as you want up until a total of 30, you would be able to bet a different amount for each round. You would get a random number of cards each round. All other three characters at the table would get a random number of cards each round as well. And it just was a nightmare because when you would try to bug test it, the software would run through all these iterations and it wouldn't have enough iterations to like get through all of the possible scenarios for this. So things would just keep breaking. And I sent it into my editor and she was just like, you, you do realize players will have like very little difference with their experience if you just use the standard way of checking stats to create, you know, this game. And I realized, oh yeah, like it's still going to be pretty much the same experience if it just works the same way that everything else works in this game, but it won't be as complicated. So that was like three weeks of wasted effort down the gutter. Um, <laughs> but that's still, that's still floating around there somewhere on my hard drive. So maybe I'll uh, release that someday, my standalone poker mechanic. So yeah, that, that probably. I have two different just, games of chance. Yeah, yeah, pretty yeah. much. Oh uh, yeah, do yeah. I did. I did the games of chance as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Did you? So did you actually code them with chance, or did you? I did. I did. Oh. Yeah. Oh my word. <laughs> <laughs> and they let you do that. That's crazy. Maybe like they, did, they saw yeah. your code and then they're like, "Jed, you can't do it." <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, wow. I. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, there, there's a dice game, like there's a the game of hazards, like a medieval dice game in The Road to Canterbury. And mm. then there's a card game in The Magician's Workshop. Um, and I can't remember, I seem to recall the card game not being super complicated, but there there is a random, you know, there's a random card generator. And then I had to code like for every card that you would get, this is the hand that you would have or whatever. And yeah, um, I had I had so much fun with those, but it is not something I'd recommend to others for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's super fun, but I think it ultimately it does come back down to like reminding yourself, you know, put yourself in the player's shoes. Is this going to make a better experience for the player or not? And like it probably maybe makes it 5% better if it is a truly random experience and it's really replayable. But like is the 3 weeks that you spend on that worthwhile or could you have written like a whole other chapter of amazing story that the players would probably appreciate a lot more in that time? And the answer is, yeah. is is probably the second one. Um, but having said that, if I do write another one, I might <laughs> might try to sneak in some <laughs> some cheeky random stuff there. Do um, it. Yeah. I'll send you yeah. my code. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. I'd love to have a look at that actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. Speaking of second games, I've only written one game, but I I think I'd probably like to write one in the future because I really enjoyed this process and there's already a few ideas percolating around there. So I'd be really curious to know for both of you, what was the experience like going from your first game to the second, like? Were there any things that were significantly easier? Were there any things that you had decided that you were going to do differently? Um, yeah. Do you want to do you want to maybe start off, Kate? Uh, sure. Yeah. So for me, um, certainly some things were easier. You know, like I understood the mechanics a lot better, and I understood just writing interactive fiction a lot better, and and all the things that we've been talking about. Um, <clears throat> a lot of things were changing on the technical side between my first game and my second game. So I actually wrote um, the second game in Seaside, um, which is like a, a platform for choice of games, whereas I wrote the first one in um, just a, a very plain text editor. Um, and there were some um, mechanical things in choice script that had changed significantly. Um, you know, like I don't think we had multi-replace in, in the first game, for example. Oh, really? Um, which wow. will mean nothing yeah. to some people, but yeah, there was there was no multi replace, so there were there were things that were quite significant 
changes to how we write in script that uh, I had to learn for the second game that I didn't do in the first game. Um, so, yeah, so I did feel like there were some new challenges and, uh, you know, for, but for both games, uh, one of the things I really like about writing in script is that there's a fantastic wiki uh, with all this information. Um, Choice the of Games saber. puts a lot. Oh, it's so great. And, you know, the, on the Choice of Games website, there's a lot of information all the time um, about uh, the evolving um, language and, and um, different hacks. And there are also just a whole bunch of blogs and, and writers do share information. You know, like Jed and I were just laughing about sharing code. But, you know, we do we do sort of, you know bug each other and say oh i don't know how to do this how did you do it and uh you can you can read other the code of games you can go and look under the hood uh so that's really helpful and i found that with both games that i i did all of that a lot awesome what about you hannah yeah um i was in the same i was in the same boat with the the multi-replace and, and things like basically when i when i did blood money it was just before um some developments happened to the code um and so then um i think i ended up like doing some like when i was doing final edits i like into like incorporated some of it but then with creme de la creme like that was i, I was fully on board with that and it so it made it a lot easier um uh, but yeah, I I think some of it was I I was um, like I was saying before, like I wanted to sort of challenge myself and um, have a game that wasn't as violent or um, kind of it wasn't as action like actiony, um, but still have high stakes um, for my second game. And um, and I really enjoyed sort of being like, right, I'm gonna I'm gonna make this very like really like relatively non-actiony but make like try and make the player feel really tense about things um i think uh i i wanted to have i wanted to have more emphasis on romance in it because i i do have like i've got romanceable characters in blood money um but it wasn't as much of an emphasis. Um, and then I just went really wild and was like, I'll have 10 love interests. This would be great and really manageable. And, and like, I don't, don't do that. That's really silly. Um, me out of <laughs> for, for my, for my third game, I've, I've whittled it down again. <laughs> so that was um, like, that, that was sort of, um, yeah, wanting to, wanting to have a, a bigger cast of characters, which was, was fine, but like not recommended really. Um <laughs> And yeah, I think um, it was interesting, like sort of my, like my life looked, looked different at that point as well, because while I was writing at least like the first, like two thirds of Blood Money or so, I was also working um, like a, an office job um, and then ended up um, like losing that job. And so I was full time, like doing freelance like writing hmm. um so for creme de la creme like i did have a lot more like a lot more time devoted to it um so like i was able to sort of like focus on it a lot more and i think that's part of why it's so large <laughs> um because um i sort of had more, a bit more freedom to do that rather than trying to squeeze it around like evenings and weekends sort of thing yeah, I got a few like follow up things I'd love to know about Creme de la Creme as well because as we've mentioned before, like it went gangbusters compared to Blood Money, which still I would think is a very successful game in terms of sales and everything. But like Creme de la Creme, it was like you know on another level compared to it. And why do you, why do you think that players responded so much more strongly to it? Gosh, I um, it's really interesting. <laughs> um, I think uh, I I wonder whether it's because it was. Uh, an easier concept to grasp um like it's quite like i guess it's in a genre which is quite easily easily um understandable like it's like it's a, it's a boarding school story uh, and it's uh and like it's sort of um yeah you you've got a kind of immediate kind of reference point for it i think um and i think as well um the i think the the kind of the emphasis on the romance and the the kind mm. of social interactions is something that people have said that they really enjoyed um and uh it was interesting um sort of trying out doing um romanceable characters that could be different genders as well um which i hadn't done before um other than in a short 
game that I wrote um, in in Blood Money, like everyone is a, a fixed gender. And then so for for Creme de la Creme, like I think I think I mostly I mostly did it um, kind of swapped out of uh, a kind of like wanting to challenge myself because I've yeah. been like oh I like I won't I wouldn't be I wouldn't be able to do that uh it would be too difficult and then I was like wait no I, I will I'll try and do it <laughs> um but I think that sort of um yeah it's interesting like I was going to say like often people maybe people enjoyed being sort of being able to tailor their romance experience a bit more um but on the other hand, some people don't like it. So it's kind of, it could be one or the, or the other. Um, but, um, but yeah, it was, it was interesting. Actually, I, I asked when I was, when I was then pitching something afterwards, um, I, I asked Abby, my editor, um, sort of, oh, why did you choose that out of the other pitches? Um, and she said that the, sort of they, they wanted to, um, they like really, they wanted to try something different because it was something that hadn't really been done before in the choice of games line um so i think like maybe it was sort of it was kind of the right place at the right time kind of um people people were like oh this is this is something that's a bit like it's a bit different um and and and, like enjoyed it um but yeah it was really fun to write when i when i when I read the code again, I, uh, I, I, when I always, it looks really arcane to me and I'm like, why did I do that in that like weirdly complicated way? Um, but, uh, but yeah, like, I, I think I, I worked hard on kind of trying to make the scenes feel really distinct to each other, um, and kind of make all the characters feel, uh, kind of feel, feel different and distinct, I think. I think that's really cool that you've pointed out that they were looking for something different and like, you know, normally when you're looking for something different and you publish something that's outside of your bread and butter, it doesn't do that great. But like, yeah. <laughs> this just shows that you have the opportunity to like still, you know, be finding new angles to this. And we are still in a very early phase of choice of games stories in a sense, like they've published what, maybe a hundred and 120 or games or so like that still leaves a lot of room for, you know, discovering the next kind of, the next thing that readers don't know they want, that they want. So yeah, hopefully that'll uh, that'll inspire some people out there who are maybe thinking about writing that stuff now. Um, Definitely, yeah. yeah. And I think um, I think that it, uh, yeah, that's that's a really good point because I think if I had if I had been thinking, oh, I want to do something that's more like Blood Money, then. I might not have enjoyed it as much because I'd, I'd sort of sure. feel like, oh, I'm going to do something that's more dark and moody and fantastical, um, which is is also awesome and, and was sort of more the kind of thing that I was doing at that point in general. Um, and yeah, it was nice to sort of stretch myself and be like, oh, I'll try this this other thing. Nice. Yeah, right. and we... another oh, sorry, option for go... people too. Oh, sorry, yeah. Uh, another option that people have is to write in choice scripts, but not for choice of games as well. So you, you mm. can... You know, you can use the language to make your own projects and uh, and play around if you don't want to do something that fits into what Choice of Games is doing. Um, and they also have hosted games, which is <laughs> games that don't quite fit what they're doing, but um, they'll put them on their platform and, and give them some support and that kind of thing as well. So there are a lot of different options. Awesome. All right, so kind of the last question before we wrap this this sort of thing up. What would you say is your number one bit of advice for anybody who's writing an interactive fiction game? So like if there was just only one thing that you could kind of suggest to them, what what would it be? Who wants to start off? And I'll make you two go first so that I have time to think of my answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I just want I want to sort of piggyback on something that you said, Jed. So <laughs> oh, great, go for that's it. where I'm going to take one. Uh, yeah, um, because when you were talking about um, you know like the like putting overcomplicated randomness in and, and that sort of thing, um, I think you know there's a re- really good point to that, which is uh the that thinking about the the player experience um and realizing that okay the player is not going to know how clever my code was here if i just do this other thing their experience is the same you know but i think in general that that principle of how is the player experiencing this and thinking that all of the time no matter what you're doing um is uh just something to always keep in mind and sometimes it just means that you add in an extra sentence and you think ah okay this would really enhance the player experience it can be a very small thing that just makes them feel like this is a distinct 
choice and a distinct pathway. And it didn't take a lot of work for you to do that, but it just changes everything, uh, the flavor in some way. Um, like so just always putting yourself in something like that. Yeah, those yeah exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And it makes them feel like, OK, this is a coherent experience that I'm having. Um, so just putting yourself in their shoes all the time is my my biggest advice. That's really good. Yeah, totally agree with that. Anna, what about you? Yeah, um, yeah, I, I agree with that as well. Um, it's um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's really cool. Like when you're when you're playing and you really feel like the game's listening to you, even if it's not mm. necessarily like this choice led to a particular different, like completely different storyline. Like if the game is is sort of paying attention to you, then it's it's just a really nice feeling as a player. Um, I think something that I would um, something that I would think about. Uh, my advice um, is something that I didn't really do with Blood Money and then I did more with Creme de la Creme is um, thinking about um, uh, what themes um, in the in the game are like the kind of the story and the um, like also the setting um, and the plot that you want to do and thinking about how you want it to interact with your stats um, because the the kind of game mechanics and your themes can be really like they can they can say a lot about each other um in a way that is unique to interactive fiction um and that's something like really powerful that you can use in a way that you can't with a book say um and i'm thinking about um it like one of the things that struck me with the magician's workshop was um like the faith and humanism stat um and like when i was looking at the stats before i'd even started playing the game i was like oh oh this is really interesting like this this is telling me that this is this game is going to have like um kind of thoughts about divinity and like that makes sense because the historical setting um there's going to be questions about the kind of philosophy and like what like how people are feeling about the church oh this is really interesting and like it kind of it it says something before you even start playing um and similarly with the siege of trebolane like looking at the um looking at all of the stats you're like okay this is this is going to be something that is quite strategic um you've got a sense of like where the like the kind of stats of your uh, of the strength of the city in different ways like it's almost like you feel tense <laughs> you feel stressed out like looking at it straight away you're like oh no how am i gonna how am i gonna sort out my walls <laughs> they're gonna get crumbled aren't they <laughs> like um and uh and i think that's something that is it, it it can it can sort of shape the player's experience even before they're even before they start um and that can be just something that also helps you when you're kind of figuring out out lining or um kind of figuring out what you want your story to be i think that's huge because yeah like when you're playing through this story you have no idea what pathway the players are going to take so creating that sense of cohesion and weaving a theme throughout it can be tricky and that's why thinking about your theme with how it relates to your stats is so critical because that is your thing that is constantly referred to throughout the story and is really shaping the player's experience and what they're focusing on so yeah that is really vital for creating that sense of cohesion and kind of thematic uh, complexity to the game. I think my probably best bit of advice for it would be for every scene and for every decision, if you can, ask yourself, why is this going to be one player's favorite scene or favorite decision? Because it's really easy to have your set pathway that you're super excited about going down and you're like, oh, I want all players to go down this pathway because it's my favorite. But I think you have to, and this was something that I really had to learn and really enjoyed once I learned it. You have to realize, okay, there's four different characters that the the main character might uh, choose to hang out with. For me personally, I probably have a favorite, but for players, like each one of them is going to choose a different favorite. So I've got to make sure that whenever I'm writing all of those different interludes, I give them a reason why this could be their favorite scene in the whole experience. And that's a really good guiding light because yeah, it just makes you excited to write every single thing. Like it just takes away, you know, telling yourself, Oh, I've got to write this scene for this side bit that I'm not interested in. Suddenly when you're asking, why is this going to be someone's favorite? You go, okay, like maybe this is a scene that I could approach it in a pretty boring and just like, you know, feel paint by the numbers fashion, or I could like actually make this really interesting, even though it isn't the core of my game. So yeah, I think that was really useful for me to kind of shape it. Um, And same goes for books as well. Like I try to ask that, you know, in every chapter, why is this going to be someone's favorite chapter, even if it's not the big climax or the big reveal or the big twist or something like that. Awesome. All right. So uh, as we conclude this one, 
maybe we can talk about what we are currently writing and what will be like our next release. So, uh, Kate, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So uh, my next release is uh, a book called Assassin's Creed, The Megas Conspiracy. And it's my first video game tie-in novel. So, so it, it brings my two worlds together. Yeah. So that was really fun. It's coming out from Aconite Books, um, you know, which publishes for the Ubisoft game um, in in August. And it is uh, set in the 19th century uh, and in the Assassin's Creed universe. Um, and uh, you get to meet Ada Lovelace and have all kinds of adventures. Uh, I say you as if it's interactive fiction. It's it's not. <laughs> the interaction <laughs> they know, have with uh, it is they decide whether to turn the page or whether to. Yeah, get a exactly. Do you do you turn the page or do you not? Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so that that's lots of fun. <clears throat> so that's coming out very soon. Uh, and um, uh, after that, I've got a couple of other books uh, that are. Um, not yet announced. Uh, so stay tuned for some uh, some possible announcements. Is all I can say at the moment. So there, but there are books coming down the road. Uh, and the embroidered book, my my latest novel, um, just came out um, quite recently. Uh, so that's still in stores. And uh, yeah, Jed's got the got it there on the shelf. So that's a historical fantasy placement. novel. Yes, lovely. <laughs> Thanks. And you can find me on the internet. I'm easy to find. Kate Hartfield everywhere. Awesome. What about you, Hannah? And yeah, feel free to plug like your socials as well at the end of it. I should have said that. Yeah. So um, the the next game I've got coming out um, is a choice of games game, which is uh, more of a novella length than a novel, like interactive novel length. Um, it's called Noblesse Oblige. And it's about uh, the main character is going to a, uh, a foreign island to teach um to teach an aristocrat um the their language or like help tutor them in it Whoa. um yeah. and it's uh yeah it's it's a very like really remote kind of crumbling mansion um the the uh a load of uh there's a load of kind of threatening auras of ev everywhere um it's uh it's it's a lot more moody and there's a lot more there's more kind of violence in it um it's set in the same world as creme de la creme um and uh but you're um you're kind of out of the uh a kind of uh like genteel boarding school sort of setting and in, in this like kind of very unfamiliar um environment um there's a lot of romance in it um and uh yeah I, I i was inspired a lot by jane eyre when i was um like when i was writing it um and which was a lot of fun um and so that's going to come out i'm not sure entirely when it's in copy edit at the moment so it shouldn't be too long um and i'm also writing another game that's set in the creme de la creme setting um which is again it's a it's in the setting, but it's with a different main character um, where you are at um, you're at boarding school, um, but you're a, you're one of the royal family um, and are uh, kind of navigating a lot of political upheaval with um, people, uh, people doing um, campaigning about suffrage rights, um, which are in the currently in the game are immensely like not not really rights at all um and people are people are wanting wanting more rights funny that um and you can sort of decide how you want to um how you want to interact with that or or not if you don't want to um and have lots of fun um at boarding school as well um so that's uh that's in progress i'm about three quarters of the way through writing it at the moment so i'm hoping that it will come out sometime this year if it doesn't it will be early next year um but um that's been interesting because it's it's like it's very it's very related to creme de la creme it's you're you are at the rival boarding school that um that does appear in in the first one um and uh some characters reappear a few like a few years older um and that sort of thing um but yeah and uh and in my day job i'm working on an unannounced game um <laughs> with tributary games um which are an indie studio um and that's very exciting um is and, that interactive yeah. or is that a v like a traditional video game sort of thing uh it's a it's a social it's a multiplayer social narrative game uh, i can't really say any more than that but yeah, it's, that's fair. it's very cool <laughs> that's pretty cool um and yeah i am i'm h powell smith uh, on twitter fantastic 
All right, I'll try to put links to all that stuff in the show notes below. Um, yeah, thank you so much for joining me. This has been really, really fun. It's it's super cool to talk choice of game stuff with other choice of games authors now that I'm on the other side of actually publishing it. So thank you both for, for joining me. And um, yeah, thank you for listening or watching and we'll see you next time. Bye, everybody. Bye. As we end this episode, I wanted to give a big shout out to all our Patreons who have support the show and an extra special shout out to our legendary wizard patrons, Talon and Daniel. If you want to help support the show and get access to a huge library of uh, exclusive patron-only episodes, go to patreon.com forward slash wizardswarriorswords. You can find the link in the show notes below. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.